the Lord's blessing on the scriptures. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for what you have always before us in your, in your word. We'd ask that you would give us great joy and satisfaction going to it in our lives and here this morning as a body. In your son's name, amen. Okay, there's Isaiah written all over the sermon notes. So uh, you can guess legitimately that we're in Isaiah. In about um, the late 600s BC, early uh, 500s BC, uh, a family of what's called the Achaemenids, descended from Achaemenes, Persian family, uh, rose to the top of the tribes of I guess the northern, the mountains in northern Babylonia, under the Median Empire, and slowly became more and more dominant until finally they cast off the Median control under uh, Cyrus II, the Great, and uh, right around five oh five forty ish BC. So. Um, a very uh, notable time. Biblically, the prophets would be Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. Um, and he takes Babylon, famous thing related in, the, in Herodotus and other historians. Um, and then, having taken Babylon, and the Jews are captives in Babylon. They had been taken off to Babylon in the... Um, Late, late 600s by Nebuchadnezzar and uh, he sets the Jews free. He sends them back to Judea, Jerusalem and from that point on and, and declares that he's going to I think that's in the where is it? The end of beginning of Ezra where is Ezra? Before Nehemiah, right? So at the, end, at the beginning of uh, Ezra, end of Second Chronicles, beginning of Ezra, you have a decree given by Cyrus. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all of his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, for he, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. Well, proclamation also recorded in uh, the last bit of Second Chronicles. I tell you this because, uh, and the dates, which you will immediately forget, I'm sure, because there's no test. Um, but keep in mind you're dealing with the early 500, well, late 500s B.C., the time of Daniel, which runs from about 600 down to 530. Okay? Here on the left-hand side, let's read Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who stretched out the heavens alone, who spread out the earth. Who was with me? Who frustrates the omens of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish? who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, 
she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and ungird the loins of kings to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut asunder the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I will call you by your name. I surname you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I gird you, though you do not know me. That men may know, from the rising of the sun and, from, and the, from the west, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make weal and create woe. I am the Lord, who do all these things. Well, you said to yourself, well, he was just talking about Cyrus. Got to keep track of what the pastor's saying. He was just talking about Cyrus, whose conquests are in the mid, five, mid to late 500s B.C. And then he quotes a passage of Isaiah referring to Cyrus a couple of times by name. He even mentions that he called him by name. The one problem is Isaiah died in about 687 B.C. That's not really a problem, but it's prophecy. That's what we call prophecy when someone foretells the future. Dies about 687 BC, 150 years before the events he talks about. Let's just put it this way this is so pronounced that liberals have to make up theories to make it not be by Isaiah. Whenever something happens, obviously the text, no, God bless them. They, they need something to do. Isaiah prophesies this and in specificity names the guy before the Achaemenids are even as a people. Before Achaemenids, the first of the line, Years and years, generations before Cyrus had founded that Persian dynasty. God is able to say, his name's going to be Cyrus. Now, I don't know how that happens. I don't know if God sends an angel to um, Mrs. Cyrus and whispers in her ear the night she's in contractions and says, you're going to name him Cyrus. Hmm. Angel appears to you and tells you to name him something. You better name him something. Well, in that section I read, which is not the section we're covering, God knows that he's doing stuff that people don't normally do. They can't do this. I did this. I told you. I told you by name. Now, I'm a fan of history, especially like Cyrus the Great. And I like, you know, things like prophecies coming, you know, to pass and, and being aware of these things. 
But it's not the kind of thing you want to be sent home with a, a sort of an apologetic about, about prophecy in, in Isaiah. But later in, or, or actually earlier than this, this, what I just read you out of 44 and 45, about three chapters earlier in 41 is the passage we're looking at. Where he lays out, he, he goes into, um, and if I don't, I don't mean to cheat you of any surprises, but the last part of Isaiah is not just prophesying the coming of Cyrus by name, but he's prophesying the coming Messiah as well. Passages you all know. That you sing in Handel's Messiah. All out of Isaiah, laying it out for you. And as he goes into this section, starting around chapter 40, um, this argument in 41 shows a mindset. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in, on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that men may see and know, may consider and understand together, that the hand of the Lord has done this, the Holy One of Israel has created it. Now, compared to Isaiah going, and the baby's name is going to be Cyrus in about 150 years, and he's going to send the Jews. Now, Isaiah is prophesying the rebuilding of the city and the temple before the city and the temple had been destroyed. Okay? Be aware of that. He's standing in, he's in the time, Isaiah's in the time of Hezekiah. Jerusalem's still there, the temple's still there, and he's prophesying the temple being rebuilt. Now we could, we just looked at this passage that sort of starts to introduce this subject of how Isaiah wants you to think of what happens around you. And he's saying, Look at that. The poor are, are, are thirsty. I, God, step in and give them abundant water in places. And I do this, verse 20, that men may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. Now, he said that really wasn't that's not the kind of miracle I'm looking for, Jesus. Or what do you mean? Uh, you mean that the, the poor going through a drought never die of thirst? Is that what you're trying to tell me? He's making some sort of universal claim. He's telling you how to look at what happens when you realize that God is so in control of history that I can tell you who your kid's name is going to be. Not because he knows the future so much, but he controls. What he decrees, he controls. That he can step into your life and make good and bad. Not just good, not just 
a good drink of water when you needed it, but no drink of water when you wanted it. You remember the story of Elijah and the the rain not falling for three years because God had stopped it. That men may see and know, may consider and understand together. You're being asked to process your world. And asked to process your world with the presence of God included. We were talking about this last night. A bunch of people stopped by, a variety of folks, and we were talking about... um, Oh, was it was it dreams? Was it was dreams? We were talking about uh, John had brought that up, and and, uh, and how hard it is for the modern secular materialist, which all of us have grown up thinking like, because we were you know some of us went to the public schools, and some of us just, the world just thinks in materialistic categories, and it's really hard to read your Bible and ever think that something wonderful was happening in front of you because the weatherman is telling you, well, this high-pressure system did this to that. And you're going, aren't there spirits out there? Well, these are just, you're just having dreams. Synapses are just firing in your head. No, you're not an alcoholic. You've got too much X, Y, and Z genetically. Nah, you're not. We, We interpret things differently, and what Isaiah is asking you to do is to consider, to look at this and think about it. Consider and understand together. I like that phrase. Consider and understand together. Some people spend all their time considering. It's the journey, not the uh, uh, some sort of nonsense about always looking and never finding. No, it's consider and understand together. Think about it, come to a conclusion, and put those things together. You put it together by coming to a conclusion. Look at this. Look at, when Jesus says, consider the lilies, the birds of the field. Don't I take care of them? He's expecting you to go, yes you do, Lord. To look at the same thing and not go, yeah, but I saw David Attenborough a National Geographic special and it's all instinct. Yeah, David Attenborough, Jesus Christ. Pick one. Look at this and say, does the Lord provide for the birds of the air? Does the Lord provide and dress the flowers in all their splendor? Or not? Consider that the hand of the Lord has done this. Now, Isaiah sets up this rather, you might say, this step into God's participation in history, not at a point of apologetic proof, not where Isaiah says, okay, if, if God is God, let fire come down from heaven and light that ziggurat on fire. And it happens, and he proved it. He's saying, look at this that you all see. I, God, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Have you stopped to look at your normal, regular circumstances? You ever lay in your bed at night and go, I'm in America. 
and I'm free. And I can get up tomorrow and go to college. I can get up tomorrow and go to work. I can just wave a little plastic card at somebody and they give me food. I live in miraculous times. God has been good to me. He will open rivers on the heights. Now, I'm asking you, or I think Isaiah is asking you, to think about your life and demonstrate what categories you're applying your life to. What has happened to you? What has, what, when you see and, what's the phrase? See and know, consider and understand. It says in verse 21, Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Set forth your case, bring your proofs. You have a belief about what life is. You have a conclusion you think you understand because you think you've considered it and you think you've looked at it. But you just got the one issue to you by watching too many episodes of Friends or whatever, whatever the current shows are. You know you do because you know that everybody can refer to the various TV shows. You can tell what generation each person is by whether it's a Cheers reference, a Friends reference, or a, you know what's whatever uh, other shows that are new. I don't watch TV. Um, have you analyzed your world? Isaiah wants you to make a case. Not just make a claim, make a case. Bring up some proofs. You don't get to just say, well, I kind of think, well, there's really nothing uh, behind all this. No, no. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you think there's nothing behind all this. I'm glad that you've realized you're an agnostic, but we're now trying to find out if you're a stupid agnostic. Do you have a case? Or do you just kind of go wherever it's cool to go? Now, say, uh, this is a Christian church, nobody's an agnostic here. Okay. Don't do the same thing to Christianity that the agnostic does to agnosticism. Make your case. Bring your proofs. How do you know Jesus Christ is Lord? How do you know that what we enjoy here of a Sunday morning, where we gather together and, and enjoy a cup of coffee with each other, well, we don't enjoy the coffee, but we, we drink the coffee. It is better, Andrew. It is better, Paul. But we are waiting for a utopia a barista downstairs. We know we like each other, but what is the church? Is, is this something, is this the company of the redeemed? Those of us who have passed from death to life, power of Satan to God. Do we believe in God? Do we believe in Satan? What's your case? What's your proof? Let them bring them let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things. Now this is interesting because Isaiah is leaning on his ability to tell you the future. 
Okay? And he's going to dangle that in front of the false prophets and the false gods and say, tell us what's going to happen tomorrow that we may know you are gods. Tell us, but he first says, tell us the former things. What they are. That we may consider them. That we may know their outcome. Or declare us the things to come. The two options here. Tell you what happened accurately. Tell you what's going to happen accurately. Those are your options. Consider the former things. That we may consider what they are. And what the, uh, give us the, the lay of the land. You know, for us to look at Isaiah 44, where he mentions Cyrus, it's good for you to know that Cyrus doesn't live for another 150 years. That affects what you know. That's what affects what you think. You're reading through Isaiah, and if you didn't know that Cyrus lived 150 years after this, you would think that Isaiah was talking about a king that he knew about, not that he prophesied about. Tell us the former things. How well do you know the former things? The Christian, it was that George Santayana quote, everybody, everybody quotes, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, which is, you know, a cynical, somewhat valid truth, truism. I always liked those who fail to learn from history are doomed to not repeat it, which uh, means it depends on how you look at what happened in history. Was it glorious or was it a big heap of stupid? But a Christian is looking at history, looking at the former things, so they can consider, so we can see what came of it, consider that we may know their outcome, because you're framing up an understanding of the world in which you live that covers how you tell the story of what was and whether you know what's coming. That the outcome matters because everything causally, whether it's you know in some sort of materialistic causation or uh, willful causation, at every moment of the day, as you sit here, there is a little equal sign at your elbow that what is going to happen next is what everything that was before. It's the equation. Now, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not a determinist. Because I think that all, but all these things make sense together. Your choices, freely made, decreed things applied to you, there's an outcome. You're telling a story. You need to know what it is. You don't just have some vague story. You don't have to claim something nonsensical because as soon as you start telling a nonsensical story, we were talking about dreams last night, that's how you know you're in a dream. It doesn't make any sense. And a lot of people's lives are like that. There's some actual smart people, I'm going to put that in quotes, who are suggesting that we're actually a game simulation this is, or some sort of simulation by a higher mind that is playing something out with, you actually don't know this, but you're just a, a game piece in a big game, computer-wise. 
Crazy ideas. Do you know why your ideas, what they are, what they are? And do you realize that the, the people who are able to anticipate what will happen, who can declare what will happen, Isaiah is able to declare by name who's going to come down the pike. And he says that, tell us what is to come, verse 23. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Your ability to understand your world, your ability to attend and measure and plot the trajectory of God's purposes, if God is having the purposes, is a huge part of your apology in the world for the truth of Christianity. Does your story make sense? Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know you are God's do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Why do you think people sit there with miracles related in the Bible and go, well, you know that the, uh, the birds that they got caught in the wilderness, they, the migrations of notable birds that fly in through that. You know, the, the, it's probably the Reed Sea instead of the Red Sea that they crossed, which is just a shallow marsh and you know, and it was an unusually dry year that year. And what are they trying to do? Take out the terror, take out the dismay. This is just something that's happening. No biggie. Do good or do harm. Our God, when I measure the story, when I see, know, consider, understand. When I make a case, when I make proofs. When I take this seriously, when I realize what I'm up against are people who breathe an unsustained story in their mind. They can't imagine what you're saying at all. They can't process what you're saying. Until you tell them, you know, you're making a story and you're not a good writer. You're making a story and your characters don't make any sense. You're making a story and you haven't justified the world in which they claim to live. You haven't made a case and you haven't made proofs that this is how it would be. You're just running around like a pinball ball looking for, to score some points and then die. There are things to be dismayed about and terrified by. Verse 24, behold, you are nothing. We were talking at Drones Saturday about participation ribbons. We didn't have a really positive view of it. Participation ribbons. You put a little Johnny enters a little poorly done Lego sculpture in the fair, and he will get a blue participation ribbon to put in his hope chest, I guess. Isaiah and Evan, and hopefully some of you are going to stand and look at that kid and go, you are nothing. <laughs> Be lucky you woke up this morning. God could have killed you in your sleep. And look at that sculpture. He should have. Because some of those kids are not just participating, they're participating in the negative. It is an offense that they have done. 
Behold, you are nothing, and your work is naught. An abomination is he who chooses you. These gods that claim to, there's this storyline that claims something of you. You're going to view the world a certain way and never be called to account. Prove it. There is no God. Prove it. They can't even come up with something in the data that suggests that there is no God. I know that the arguments for the existence of God, the truth of Christianity, always require a step of faith at the end. They are not absolutely, you can always step aside. You can always say, no, I don't think it is. But I could pile up claims, cases, proofs, and I'm just waiting for the other side. Isaiah is saying, okay, you do it too. You can't just say, I don't like the Christian God. So all the proofs for the Christian God, we set aside because I don't like them. He says mean things about people I think we should say nice things about. That's not a proof. That's not a case. If they choose, they choose what is nothing. They choose things that can't do good nor ill. Can't, don't adequately know, don't adequately know the the past don't adequately know the future. An abomination is he who chooses you. Then he starts, verse 25. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come from the rising of the sun, and he shall call on my name. Now we don't know whether he's talking, because this is leading up to the Cyrus prophecies a couple chapters later. But it's also leading up in uh, uh, chapter 42 to a messianic thing. So we don't know which, it's, it's scrambled in, in Isaiah as to which servant and which messiah he's dealing with. They, they define themselves out differently. So one from the north, it could be, you know, in the sense, the sense of Zaphon, uh, the mountain of God north, but... Uh, um, it seems like it's political in other ways, but it doesn't really matter for our, con our, he shall trample on rulers as on mortar as the potter treads clay. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know, and before time that we might say, he is right. That's what we did with Isaiah 44 and 45 over there, was said, this is what he said about Cyrus. This could be about Cyrus. And Isaiah is doing a little victory lap and basically saying um, there's first place and there's losers. Here, hold my trophy while I kiss your girlfriend. Because I'm, I'm better at this than you are. I told you beforehand, I wish I would be alive when this all comes to pass. Because smug is understating it. That, they, that we might say, he is right. There is none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I have, I first have declared it to Zion, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good tidings. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. 
Have you noticed that? Um, Mark Connect had a question at uh, Drones yesterday. He said, if you're told to imagine yourself in a counseling situation, <coughs> who did you imagine yourself as? The counselor or the counselee? There's sort of a, uh, uh, you might say, a bit of, when you given that and you're surprised by the end result, you say, well, I imagine myself going for counseling. Or I imagine myself counseling. There's a little device that will help you go, maybe I don't know everything I ought to know. Maybe I should pursue more. When Isaiah goes, I'm in the midst of God doing things. Whatever you think of the current age and whether or not it is prophesied, whether or not it's a great and glorious golden age for the church or the outreach or whatever you think. We can look back at Isaiah's time and go, Isaiah was walking around. I mean, we're talking gunslingers uh, prophetically. The big boys. Long, long books of prophecy. That's why you never do a Bible study on Isaiah. It's 66 chapters of stuff like this. And I'm so confused. And the guy who wrote the 66 chapters is going, yeah, I don't understand it. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Look at the past. Consider what happened. Look at the outcome. What is, what is coming in this world? What is God doing? Everything from the daily provision from the birds and the flowers to the poor and the water that they need down to moving kings of nations, toppling kingdoms. We are serving a God and the bringing of the Messiah. We are serving a God who would like us to think about the story that's being written. Because once I think about the story that is being written, I have to say, what? It's not just me knowing more about Cyrus the Persian and more me knowing more about how when Isaiah lived and the arguments for or against the textual issues in Isaiah. It's not, I'm not asking you to be a scholar. I'm asking you to, you've already got a story that you're running on. You just picked it up from probably your Spider-Man comics and, and uh, someplace else your teachers, a social professor who, who, um, who was asking me about Montaigne the other day? Did somebody hear? Oh, it was Maya Tracy, who is not here. About Montaigne, and you, you can read certain people that, that really just offer you an easy, comfortable couch to sit on uh, a life de definition you don't really think about the definition that much you don't really consider, you don't understand you don't know what is supposed to be happening because you're standing, you're Christians you're standing in the midst of this it's not just good for you to have a better story and a better grip on life God is trying to work a miracle in you a particular one he describes in detail in what is called the New Testament. He tells you what holiness he was trying, is trying to bring about in you and what he gave you to create that holiness. 
And we're not even asking the question. No one can let them give an answer. I'm not really into, you know, books and stuff. You're not really into books. You're happy to have a view. You're happy to get up in the morning and live out a day without just sort of what some sort of autopilot that the world issues you. And then if you watch too much CNN, you're out marching in the streets against the fascists, and if you watch too much Fox News, you're out there punching anti-fascists in the face. Because that's the story is given to us. We've got a different story. We're trying to say what happened, what was the outcome, where is this going, how am I in it? And what miracle do you face being in it? Because this is our proof for the faith. This is our case. Is God working a miracle in you or not? The people you know are, aren't going to know anything more about Cyrus the Persian than you. You say, well, I can't really impress them with that miracle. And there are a lot of ways that people can argue with their ways around that miracle. But if I've considered, if I took a look at my life, if I realized what God had done in me by the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, if I knew that, I'd be putting a proof in front of them that I could be as obnoxiously smug as Isaiah is. That they may say, we are right. Yeah, how's that, what's that Dr. Phil phrase? How's that working out for you? How's Christianity working out for you? Have you thought about it? Have you considered God's goodness to you? Have you thanked him as you lay abed in a better mattress than any emperor in antiquity ever had? And you're just a student at the University of Idaho and you've got a better mattress than a Byzantine monarch? Thank you would be nice. Honor would be nice. Understanding the story would be nice. You ever been in Christian communities where no one you talk to seemed to actually have a coherent answer for anything? They were just giving you the pat Christian answer, the creedal formula. Believe this, you need to believe this. And then they stop thinking about what God is trying to do in them and start realize, stop realizing that the story that you tell with your life, the power of the Holy Spirit to, for you to love and to be rejoicing and to be at peace and to be patient and to be kind, that's a miracle. People can't do that. Are you happy to have them over so that they can see the miracle? Because you know that's part of the story that God is doing is he's working a miracle in the believers. He's bringing peace that everyone wants. And they want to come back over to your house because they see it and they want it. And it really means for you to understand what's going on, the case you make, the proof you make, is either saying there is no God, the God I represent actually isn't doing anything because I got nothing. I got no story. I haven't considered... I haven't given an answer. And this last verse I like, this is probably what tied it up for me when I was looking at the passage this morning. Behold, they are all a delusion. 
Their works are nothing. Their molten images are empty wind. Empty wind kind of describes you know, the false teachers in Jude. They are clouds without rain. Empty wind. Something that's blowing that not carrying something. You know the word spirit is the word wind, both in Hebrew and in Greek. And I was thinking of the passage, I hear I have it on the side side of Daniel, I didn't like the reference in it. It's during the story about Belshazzar and the, uh, and the handwriting on the wall. The queen mother says to him, call up this guy Daniel or Belshazzar. For in him, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Or, we've created a religion that is just filled with wind. Empty wind. Not the spirit of the holy gods. Empty wind. One of those... Don't think because your religion goes way back and other people more important with a better storyline than you lived in it. You don't get to claim their faith unless your faith is the same. Unless your God is making the change in you as well. Are you that kind of righteousness? Are you that kind of holiness? Are you that kind of at peace? So I don't have to point to famous, you know, there's Charles Spurgeon, there's C.S. Lewis, there's Billy Graham, whatever the fame you want to point at. Are you able to say, all I know is that Jesus Christ saved my sorry rear end X number of years ago and changed me, wonderfully changed me. People will stop if you know your story. Some of you have written your testimonies. I would encourage a lot of you to sit down, not to propose to anybody, but just to read them to yourself. Tell the story of what's happened. Set forth your case. Has your God brought something to pass in you that you know because Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago and he, his apostles told you if you believe in that and was raised and you believe in that and you called upon him as Lord, you believe that, did that, and your life was changed, you're walking around with sufficient case and proof for you. Yeah, some can reject what you have to say, but you know. You know what's happened. You know that you're not staring into the void that is the American church and going, it is nothing. Have you ever feel that when you walk into a good Bible-believing evangelical church and go, oh my heavens, there's nothing here. Head mics, Hawaiian shirts. That's why people jump to go into more liturgical things because they want to get something there, there. They want to grab some more story. Yeah, sure, it's apostasy, but hey, we got some story. Funny hats, too. It's better for you to go to where the promise was given you. You weren't promised to have funny hats. You weren't promised that you get to wear robes. You were promised to go change you. Otherwise, empty wind. Is it the spirit of the holy gods? Is, it, is your life struggling with 
Not living out what God has offered. Well, knowing that finds an answer. Knowing that says maybe I better go back to it. Look at it. In chapter 42, which is the very next verse, I have chapter 42.1 here on the left-hand side. It's the next verse after this empty wind. He's just said, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. I know that God's behind my story. I know that you can add this up, and you can't add this up. The only way you can add this up is in God. And then he says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. One of the beautiful messianic things in Isaiah. It's the next verse. After he told you what, he, and, and we're part of that miracle. We're on the we're the coastlands peoples. We're the we're the Gentiles. That means the Greeks, the coastlands peoples. We're the descendants of that world that heard the gospel of Christ and have believed it individually. This is part of the story that that, that Isaiah told in the late seven hundreds, early six hundreds B.C. How long ago was that? Almost 3,000 years. And you're telling the same story. You're looking at the same story. You're experiencing the miracle that he prophesied would come. I have looked to the former things. Well, realize what they are. Considered them and knew their outcome. And now I'm able to declare the future. Paul's given you the ability in Christ to declare the future. Not because you're a prophet, but because he told you what your hope is. There's nothing to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You are destined to be glorified. You got the story? Have you looked at the story? Have we not even cared? Do we not even realize that people, everyone is right in one? We've got this brilliant thing that tracks over centuries with brilliant men, with gifts of God. Set forth your case. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that the case you have written here in Isaiah and written in our hearts, the same message, the same servant, Lord, help us understand Look at the events. Be able to tell the story with what it means and how it touches our future. In your son's name we pray. Amen.